The AI Today podcast, produced by Cognolytica, cuts through the hype and noise to identify what is really happening now in the world of artificial intelligence. Learn about emerging AI trends, technologies, and use cases from Cognolytica analysts and guest experts. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the AI Today podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Walsh. And I'm your host, Ronald Schmelzer. And our podcast today is going to be on, should we be scared of AI? So part of the reason why we're talking about this is that we've seen a lot of press recently about some notable tech titans in the industry talking about their fears of AI. And as we started digging into it, at first we were a little confused by this because we're like, well, why are all these really smart people who are like doing- Like Elon Musk, Stephen Hawking, Bill Gates. Mm-hmm. Yeah, why are they so concerned about AI? And do they know something that we don't know as we're just starting to get into this? Saying it could be the next World War Three. Yeah, exactly. They're like, you know, all of humanity might no longer exist as a result of AI. So we're like, well, let's dig into this. Let's really take a look at all the arguments that people are saying, both on the reasons, the causes for concern for adoption of artificial intelligence. And on the other side, the people are saying, no, these concerns are overblown. They're a lot of hyperbole. And, you know, I think our position on this is that as we sort of go through this podcast, as we look and examine each one of these arguments is that we're not necessarily going to come on the side of, yes, you should be absolutely concerned or no, you should just ignore all these concerns. We think there are valid reasons on both sides. But one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to take a look at these arguments, examine both sides of each argument, and then identify what are some of the key markers that we can look for in the industry to see if we're trending in any one particular direction, trending towards things that we should fear or trending towards things that we have no reason for concern. Right. And so we'll talk through this and go through a few of the general arguments that we found. So the first argument is general anxiety about AI. Yeah. And I think people have seen in the popular media and in Hollywood, you know, lots of examples of AI gone wrong, right? So we're familiar with HAL in 2001. We're familiar with Terminator and the Minority Report, you know, The Matrix, Westworld, Tron even, iRobot, RoboCop, you know, all the way back to the 1920s and 30s. We have Metropolis, mm-hmm. we got Blade Runner, we have War Games in the 1980s. It's like every decade that there's been Hollywood, almost there's practically been some sort of story about a super intelligent system gone wrong. And it's no wonder, I mean, if you think about that, there's a lot of situations and scenarios where things can go wrong, right? Where you have a a generally super intelligent system with superpower and knowledge. You know, I think a lot of what people are expressing when they're expressing their fears about artificial intelligence come from this fear of artificially general intelligent systems, of super intelligent systems, where we have unknown consequences about that super intelligent system. And, and I think uh, people talk about this, you know, when Elon Musk is talking about this, for example, he talks about the so-called double exponential, where we have you know, systems evolving, computers and hardware evolving at this exponential rate, but we also have you know, human knowledge about AI and expertise, that also expanding at an exponential rate. So as he said, when you put these two exponentials together, we're unable to predict what the outcome of that is. It's possible you might think that this anxiety is irrational. We think that, like, you know, the fears are well-founded. I mean, we have these other things, like, for example, we think about nuclear war. You know, people are scared of nuclear war, and there's reasons for people to be scared of it. There's reasons for people to be scared of bioterror. There's reasons to be afraid of cyber warfare. So I think it's not irrational for people to have this general anxiety or fear 
about some new technology that we don't know what the full outcome of that well, is. Well, because it's the fear of the unknown. So you don't know. So you don't know what to be afraid of. So you're just afraid of everything. And I think that that's this general anxiety. And I think that a lot of these people are also looking at worst case scenarios and not thinking about, you know, maybe some of the good possibilities that can come from this. They are only looking at the negative. So even if there's a lot of good, there's one negative and they just hyper focus on the negative and they don't look at any of the positives that can come from this. Right. So the counterexample, so when you hear people saying, you know, you hear Mark Zuckerberg saying, oh, Elon Musk is all worked up. He's just causing fear and fear mongering. You know, the general response is like, well, if you think about other major societal changes, the industrial revolution and even the information revolution, every time we go through that major change in society, we've moved from humans and animals doing all of the workload to machines doing all the workload. We've moved from... Or a majority uh, of the workload. Yeah. We've moved from these societies where you had very small closed net communities where based on everybody's doing work in that community. Now these much larger urban ecosystems where people work in a job and then go home and kids go to school. These are all major societal changes. And so it's possible that this transformation is another one of those major societal changes. And it's very disruptive Mm -hmm. to both the society and to the economics. So it's no surprise that people are acting with fear. But if you want to use those as examples, we've made it through those without any harm to humanity. As a matter of fact, every time we've crossed a new technological threshold, humanity has advanced, right? right? We live longer, we live healthier lives, our quality of life is much better. So that's the usual counterexample to the general anxiety issue. And I do think with some of those examples, things have changed in society and we've lost certain things, but then gained certain things. So for example, the telephone, you know, maybe the written word went down when the telephone came and people were not writing letters as much and communication became more instant. So some people, you know, fear mongering back then that they were afraid that the written word would go away because people would just communicate on the telephone. That didn't happen. And I think that that took time to come to that conclusion that that didn't happen. And that's what's going to happen with AI. So these people have fears and we're listening to those fears, but they have not yet come true. And that's where, you know, we still need to wait and mm-hmm. see what happens. I think it's sort of a final note here is if we're going to look to Hollywood as an example, I mean, there are actually some good examples of AI in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. We have two of the biggest science fiction legacies out there at Star Trek, where we have, you know, artificial intelligence systems and the enterprise and lots of systems. People seem to be coexisting just fine in the world of Star Trek. And of course, we have Star Wars. Everybody right. seems to love C-3PO and R2-D2. And they have no issues with these systems becoming so sentient that they're going to take over the world. So if we want to look to Hollywood examples, we could also look to Star Trek and Star Wars and perhaps some others. The next argument that we've seen is that mass unemployment will occur due to a replacement of humans with AI workers. Right. So if we just sort of move away from just the general fear and anxiety thing, just put that aside for a second, just tell people to embrace or reject their fears. We could still look at some facts around AI that people are concerned that a lot of jobs, especially the so-called white collar jobs, the ones that involve uh, knowledge and knowledge mm-hmm. workers and interactions between humans, a lot of those jobs are possibly at risk due to artificial intelligent systems and not even necessarily AGI, like the super intelligent artificial general intelligence systems, but just more advanced versions of what we have around today. And I don't think just white collar, I think both white and blue collar delivery drivers, cab drivers, for example, I see AI affecting that as well. That's right. That's a valid concern. I mean, there's a comment here from Jeremy Howard. 
who says that 80% of jobs in the developed world are things that are easily done by smart enough machines. And there's this chart that was actually an article that was and recently- And he's saying 80% of jobs today right. are easily done by smart enough machines. Not even, I think that's AGI. I think that this could be just a very weak AI focus. Right. I mean, exactly. It could be very narrow applications of AI just for chatbots and customer mm-hmm. services we talked about in our first podcast or systems that help people at checkout and retail, or autonomous driving cars, as you mentioned, car drivers and truck drivers. There's a lot of jobs, especially if you look at the allocation of jobs in the United States. There's a chart that was in a recent article that Rodney Brooks quoted in one of his pieces recently that shows that we have 90% of retail jobs might disappear and a lot of management jobs might disappear as well. And you know, there's certainly no doubt that companies are looking for dramatic increases in productivity from artificial intelligence that can give them ability to respond 24-7 to customer needs that can give them higher degrees of reliability and efficiency. And I think also for a cost measure, they're looking to do this. So that is a very valid argument that AI and intelligent machines could replace human employees. Right. So, you know, Rodney Brooks, you know, he makes a good counter argument to this employment piece where he says that, look at what's happening now in the ecosystem. He goes, you know, how many robots are currently operational in those jobs? Zero. You know, how many of these have you seen realistic demonstrations of robots doing these jobs? Zero. And so he's saying like, look, if you look in the current ecosystem, we're barely able to get machines to do, you know, an accurate job of transcribing voice and responding to human commands. You know, for us to be worried that all of a sudden some call center employee is going to be displaced tomorrow by a job is not going to happen. Now, I think sort of what we're seeing, though, is we're slowly seeing the steady creep of AI and technology into all of these jobs that people are worried about. I recently was at some of these restaurants. We were both at Olive Garden, McDonald's, and you can see now that there's a movement towards automated systems. I don't want to call them autonomous or AI, but you can see that the people who are making strategic decisions for these companies are clearly thinking about replacing humans with machines. Right. And maybe not replacing 100%, but replacing enough. So will they take away jobs? Maybe not 100% of those jobs, but there could be jobs that are affected by that. I think, you know, cab drivers, are we going to have autonomous vehicles where I can call it to my house and it will drive me to the airport at four o'clock in the morning? I don't need to worry if, you know, my Uber driver is up and checking their phone at that time. So there's something to consider there. With Rodney Brooks' argument that right now there's zero things, zero, you know, intelligent systems replacing human jobs. I'm not sure that I 100% agree with that argument. We've seen that systems can write news articles or can help with, and by help with, I mean, write and post social media. So maybe right now there's a human to approve it and actually send it out, but we do have systems that are doing things. So maybe an editor is going to take one final review at the article before it gets pushed out. Might not be a very mm-hmm. thorough edit, though. So I, I think another position here is that this is not actually really an AI argument. I mean, you could be looking at the past 10, 15 years, e-commerce as a whole, putting aside artificial, has really disrupted retail. You look at the closure of malls, you look at the closure of major stores, you look True. at this, the increasing scope of e-commerce systems in traditional retail establishments. Which I think is what you brought up with yeah. Olive Garden and McDonald's. I, I think that's more of a e-commerce than it is an actual 
AI. Right, exactly. And these aren't systems that like use any sort of machine learning or deep learning or like big data or anything like that. They're just simply like automating the experience providing. And I think also the use of mobile phones, just the use of mobile devices has really disrupted a lot of businesses. You can also think about all the peer economy stuff, whether it's Airbnb, even Uber in its current form has disrupted the taxi industry. And you look at all these peer marketplaces. And I think as a whole, even if we just stopped AI development, you hit like a brick wall tomorrow, these industries look like they're being disrupted regardless. So I think one of the things we may have to do with as a society, well, what do we do as a society when a lot of the jobs that used to require a lot of human power just no longer require that human power, whether it's because of AI or e-commerce or mobile phones or pure economy or whatever, right? Right. All right. The next argument that we have seen come up is that Bad actors can do bad things with AI, even in AI's current form, which we think is fairly weak as a system right now. We haven't tapped into what AI can really, really do. Right. So even if we're looking at the current state of artificial intelligence, there is a lot of valid reason for concern, right? So you have Putin recently coming out and it's speaking to those kids at the school where he said, artificial intelligence is the future, not only of Russia, but of all mankind. Whoever becomes the leader in this sphere will become the ruler of the world. These are not very vague statements. And in a couple of articles that we've read, which we'll include in the show notes, so you can read some of these articles where we're getting this information. Russia has been aggressively investing in military robotics and unmanned systems. They've been heavily involved in unmanned vehicles. They've been involved in all sorts of things that are the direct application of AI to the military field. But it's more than just that. We're seeing AI being applied to all this non-military stuff that is also providing strategic advantage, whether it's misinformation, disinformation, fake news, propaganda. The old propaganda of the past is now the new AI system that's creating fake news and fake commentary that's impersonating people. And I think the question is like, well, what do you do? Is there a valid situation to be afraid of AI when somebody who wants to cause damage and harm can basically do so at a larger scale and with much less direct consequence because there aren't people there when they use AI? Right. And, you know, one thing that we had seen to try and either bring up a counter argument or just even to understand this was that humans right now are helping to educate AI. So, For example, as Grady Bush had brought up, if you want to teach an AI about flowers, you feed it the flowers that you like. And you're hoping that, you know, I like roses. So I'm just going to show the AI a whole bunch of roses and it's going to learn all different roses. And yes, it'll know some other flowers too, but I'm loading the information. Well, I have good intentions with what I'm doing. Take somebody who does not have good intentions and is loading the system. The system's going to learn from its creator. So if a malicious country or a malicious person or a malicious company is teaching the system, what exactly is the system learning? Probably not great things. And that's where we can see this fear Mm -hmm. coming. You know, there's also an argument, well, yes, you can say that this is a fear, but are we really here yet? There's more immediate fears that we should be concerned about, such as North Korea or even a bomb or like certain things. Climate change. That too, but I mean, more immediate man-made things. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you could argue that too. But I think that where this fear is coming from, again, is the unknown, that people don't know who's building these systems, how they're being used. 
Ron, you also had brought up maybe an AI is impersonating Mm -hmm. somebody, and that is very hard to detect. We're also at the point now where we had brought up in podcast number one that Ron had an interaction with, he wasn't sure, was it a bot or a human? It acted very human-like, it answered questions. We don't know. And that is what scares people, that they don't know who they're talking to. But I do think there is some validity to the specific concern of just using sort of the narrow use of AI. There are drones right now operating in fields of combat that are maybe not fully autonomous, but definitely remotely controlled that are, you know, having direct battlefield consequences. As we were mentioning, you know, there is an unknown influence right now of bots in social media and in regular media. And I think it's hard to detect the difference because the systems kind of hide a lot of those differences. Like, for example, how do you know when you're having a conversation with someone on Facebook when they're somebody that you don't know is on a Facebook group that you share that they're commenting on something and they're upvoting and they're downvoting and you don't know that person. It's hard to know that if it's actually a person espousing a real belief or a system basically automating on some sort of grander scale that belief. So I think there's some valid concerns for it. I think we also should be open to the possibility of AI-backed and machine learning-backed approaches to cyber warfare. So, you know, automating a lot of social engineering type hacks and various sorts of hacks. We've definitely heard about viruses that have some machine learning capability that are evolving to their scenarios so they can escape the threats. You know, there was the unexpected release of Stuxnet outside of its bounds. So I think there are some valid concerns for this. We haven't really heard as much of a strong counter argument to what do you do about the situation when bad people want to do bad things with AI. A lot of people want to address the next big concern we're going to talk about, which is like smart systems doing bad things and putting in some controls there. But that implies that we're all working towards a good outcome. So I think this is something we need to get some firmer countermeasures for. Agree. And so the next argument that we've seen is a super intelligent system that doesn't care about or care for humanity anymore. Right. Now, this is the one that really comes up the most. And so, for example, you listen to Nick Bostrom or you read his book. What he'll say is that when AI systems are smarter than humans, they'll be able to not only do the tasks that humans can do better and faster, but they'll be able to invent new things. They'll be able to invent those things at digital speeds, and they can compound those inventions on top of more inventions faster than we can respond to them. So we have like a smart system that's not only able to do things better than us, but it's able to invent things and able to like invent more inventions and we get overwhelmed, right? We get rapidly into a situation where every moment of every day, something is changing and evolving and just our brains are just not capable of responding to that kind of threat. And so his, the big conclusion of all of these folks who are worried about the super intelligent system is that the future will not be shaped by our needs and humanity's desires, but rather the needs and desires of the super intelligent system that will either have to serve or will basically will be operating at its whim. You know, will it be treated like ants that it doesn't really care about us and can step on us, or it'll treat us like an invading, you know, alien force. (laughs) So that's like the big fear, right? Of the super intelligent system. Right. And again, because that's the fear of the unknown, we don't know how fast these systems can and will learn. And I think that Right now, they're not learning as fast as humans or are as smart as humans, I should say. But at what point will they be as smart as humans? And then at what point will they surpass human intelligence? And I think that this also comes down to then what is intelligence and how are humans going to be able to recognize this intelligence if we are not even close to what these machines are? 
Right. And I think the other concern here is that we're going to have these improvements in machine learning that are exponential because they are able to create new systems. And they said this is much more disruptive than the industrial revolution. So yes, continuing, you know, I also want to quote a little bit from the book, Our Final Invention, Artificial Intelligence and the End of the Human Era, a quite (laughs) suggestive book title by James Barrett, in which he says, like, in as little as a decade, artificial intelligence could match and then surpass human intelligence. Corporations and government agencies around the world are pouring billions of dollars into achieving AI's holy grail, human-level intelligence. Once AI has attained it, scientists argue, it will have survival drives, just like our own. And we may be forced to compete with a rival more cunning, more powerful, and more alien than we can imagine. So that's quite a scenario. <laughs> and I think like one of the things we want to think about is, like, well, first of all, what does it mean to be smarter than humans? I mean, so we talked about, well, what is the nature of intelligence? Is it just knowing more things? Is it just the ability to react faster? Is it the ability to synthesize more information? It's not really quite clear what that means. But I think really that is the crux of so all these folks are saying, slow down, put controls in place so that these systems don't you know, burst past their boundaries. And we're not talking about legal controls. We're talking about actual controls within the system that's getting built so that the system cannot learn or become smart in certain ways. Yeah. And some people are proposing legal uh, legislative regulations. But that's not going to control a system. If the system's truly learning from itself, they don't care about the law. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's hard to respond to this directly because it presupposes fairly big uh, notions. So it really presupposes the notion that systems can even get that intelligent, right? And James Barrett talks about how we will get there in less than a decade. Right. And I think, especially if you read the best sort of counter argument to all of this is that blog post they keep referring to from Rodney Brooks on September 7th, 2017, in one of his essays, For and AI, where he writes about the seven deadly sins of predicting the future of AI. And if I can summarize, I mean, basically what he's saying is that we're a lot farther away from this general vision of artificial general intelligence that everyone fears than we think. And let me quote a few bits of it. He says, like, you know, my own opinion is that, of course, it is possible in principle, if I could paraphrase, to get artificial general intelligence. And he says he would never even have started an AI if he didn't believe it was. But he doesn't necessarily think that we as humans may even be capable or smart enough to figure out how to achieve sorts of things that people are talking about with artificial intelligence. And the current state of AI is pretty far away from this. And he talks about the example of we know all the wiring in the worm C. elegans with all of its 7,000 connections and 302 neurons. And the project to even replicate that basic worm is still only halfway there and we still don't have it working. And so, you know, the brain, which is over 100 billion neurons and, you know, tons of connections, you know, how could we possibly get there? So, I think like the big counter argument is that we're just a lot farther away from this vision than people are thinking. Right. And I mean, do I think we're a decade away? Absolutely not. Are we a hundred years away? I don't know. Could it be within my lifetime? Let's say I live to be 80, you know, do we have 50 more years? Could it be within my lifetime? Maybe. But right now, what we have seen from systems, if we want to call them AI systems like Alexa or Siri or Google Home, that they are kind of pitiful right now <laughs> as compared to a human. So I can ask them certain questions and most of the time they'll understand me, but give me maybe not always the answer I want. And 
you know, for example, I've asked Alexa what the weather is. And I ask her that most mornings. Some mornings she doesn't understand my question and I have to repeat it. Yeah. That to me isn't very smart right now. Right. And they're not capable of complicated questions. And you can, They're not. You know, I mean, and, uh, and I think that they're also not capable of certain voices. I mean, my two-year-old talks to Alexa all the time and Alexa doesn't understand her. So that to me is not intelligence. Yeah, your two-year-old talks to me all the time and I don't <laughs> understand her either. But, <laughs> but then again, I think this is a very valid concern. If, like, if we're truly looking at, like, if we go based on the assumption that the companies who are producing AI technology are producing their best technology now and are releasing it. And maybe we're seeing the commercially available stuff and maybe we're maybe two or three iterations behind what they're actually doing. It definitely seems like we're farther away than we want to be. I mean, we've been chasing the, the vision of autonomous vehicles for a while. Um, we're certainly many years into it and we still don't have cars driving all around the streets. We haven't quite figured out all the challenges there. So you can make some of those arguments. I think what people will counter those counter arguments and say, things always move faster than you think. Right. And so, you know, while you may think it's like 100 years away, it may actually really only be 10 years away. And I think that's the biggest if we can sort of apply our cognolytic analysis here, it's like nobody really knows. I mean, nobody knows. Right. Elon Musk doesn't know. Bill Gates doesn't know. Stephen Hawking doesn't know. Rodney Brooks doesn't know. Grady Bush doesn't know. My two-year-old doesn't, doesn't know. Nobody, nobody knows. knows, right? Nobody really knows because we could be one amazing innovation away from making AGI happen. I mean, this is what happened in machine learning with the evolution of deep learning that just sort of came out of the blue. And all of a sudden we had all of these major innovations and in image recognition and things that we thought were going to be a lot more computationally intensive turned out not to be because we learned this way of doing it. We could be one innovation away from accelerating AGI. You never know. But I think that's the point. Nobody knows. And I think it's really interesting. I think part of the reason why people are a little surprised at the intensity and the dedication to which Elon Musk is sounding the alarm bells about AI because he himself is so involved with AI, right? So for example, you know, he's involved, obviously he's got his Tesla cars. He's working on those to make those more AI, to let them park by themselves and drive by themselves. There's clearly a lot of AI there. He's working on OpenAI, which is the, the path to safe AI development. But clearly, he must know what's happening in AI if he's working on that. He's also trying to do this neural lace thing, a brain machine physical implant, you know, that allows you to effectively merge in a symbiotic way with a digital intelligence. And, you know, he, he talks about all sorts of, he invests in a lot of AI companies, is involved in DeepMind. So here's somebody who's deeply involved in a lot of these activities who's signing the warning bell. And you might say, oh, well, that should be a reason for concern because here's somebody who's involved sounding warning bells. But then you also have people who have been involved for longer periods of time who are saying, let's not sound the warning bells. I think this general fear of a system that is so smart that it can cause problems, I think that sort of fear is really hard to place into the should we really be afraid or should we not? If you listen to Rodney Brooks, he's saying this is much more complicated than it looks. We're much farther away from it than it should make you feel more secure. The only thing I do want to add, though, is like the folks who are talking about putting the reins on AI development, like Nick Bostrom, he's saying, well, like, let's just assume, let, let's take, you know, Rodney Brooks and these folks at their word and assume that it really is far away. Is there any harm in creating control structures now in the eventuality that things do progress to the point where we don't have this control, right? And you could say, well, is it not really out of fear, but I guess over abundance of caution to do that? Does it still make sense to do that, even though we may not ever reach that place where that stuff is needed? I don't know what you think Sometimes about that. Sometimes I look at that almost as putting the cart before the horse. You know, you're going to maybe put certain systems, certain checks and balances in place. 
but they might not be the right checks and balances. So we're assuming and going down a certain path, thinking that AI will take us one way and it might actually take us another. As you said, we could be one big step away, but we don't know what that step is. So we're making assumptions that it's a certain step, but it's actually a different one. So you can put checks in place. They're just not always the right ones. Sort of like this brings me back to laws around talking on your cell phone. You could make maybe some guesses as to where that would go, you know, texting and driving. And yes, okay, maybe you could assume that it would have more accidents, assume this, assume that. But then it actually, you know, happened. Laws were created after it happened. And now there's laws in place. So you can argue both ways. You know, people could have made laws like, oh, wow, the first cell phone that came out literally was like plugged into the phone, you know, your phone cars. You had to hold it on the phone. There wasn't really a speaker for that back in the 80s. Then they became smaller. They were flip phones. Now they're smartphones. So you could make assumptions, but I don't know if people back in the 80s when, you know, say that they were writing this law to try and get ahead of it or in the 70s when they were Mm -hmm. trying to get ahead of it would have any idea what it is now. So you can put these systems and these checks in place, but they're going to have to change and evolve over time. So you have to be careful with that too. Yeah, I think that's actually one of the concerns of the folks who have been in the AI industry for a while, is that even though they might be sort of disregarding uh, a lot of these fears that we've identified, I think really the bigger issue is that there's a general fear that overabundance of caution with AI could cause basically the next AI winter. So for those of you that are not familiar, the AI winter were two periods of time when AI investment was steeply declined. You know, a lot of advancement in AI had almost ground to a halt. And basically, AI advanced, stopped really advancing during those periods of the winter. And there's a concern now because there's all this interest in AI right now. There's like tons of interest in AI. There's lots of hype around AI. There's a lot of investment in AI. Even things that aren't really AI are getting... Are pretending to be AI AI and getting a lot of hype. So, So like there's all this interest, which is great, which is great for AI researchers, which is great for AI developers, great for product companies, great for everybody. But there's a concern that if we start focusing on these fears, we start focusing on these worries, we start putting controls in place, whether they're technological controls or legal controls, that it could cause the next decline in interest in AI and basically say, well, maybe artificial intelligence is a weapon of mass destruction. Let's treat it like that and stop being so enthusiastic. And all of a sudden, all this opportunity dries up. And now we've basically caused a bad outcome that we would not have otherwise wanted, where we could have benefited from artificial intelligence. Right. And we can say that, well, maybe there's another winter, but there's been a lot of talk now. And I think that people always need to just be cognizant of what others are doing Mm -hmm. behind the scenes. As we talked about Putin and Russia and other countries, you can say that it's like a nuclear weapon and you can try and stop research and development on it. But guess what? There's still a lot of countries that are putting a lot of money into nuclear weapons, even if that's not how we fight war right now, because everybody wants to be capable. So maybe they're doing it behind the scenes. So just because, you know, people think winter is coming with AI, Mm. (laughs) um, you have to be careful about how much you really want to stop the research and the development and make sure that you're not halting progress out of I think if we can use the past as any lesson, this is probably maybe a good way for us to sum up, is that the last two times that we've had all of this interest in AI, and then it stopped because of the winter, and then we had a new resurgence in interest in AI, and then it stopped. And now we have this new resurgence in AI. The last two times it stopped was not because the AI systems 
We're doing more than we expected, but it was actually the reverse. We had expected more of the AIs than we actually got out of them. And so the decline of interest would be like, we were expecting it to do all of these amazing things. And then we realized we hit the limitations of technology, of our ability, and then people pulled back. And then there was a new wave of interest, like look at all the great possibility and expectation. And we had all this great promise. And once again, over-promised, under-delivered, people pulled back. Now, it seems like we're in this new cycle. People are really interested and now they're worried about this outcome. And I think we can only hope <laughs> that AI does not fail to meet up to even its most basic expectations and that it's here for the long term and that we can expect an AI that's more like R2-D2 and C-3PO and the enterprise computer and a lot less like Terminator and HAL and some of the things we <laughs> were worried about. If you're interested in reading more about this particular topic of should we be scared of AI, we've actually put together a longer research piece on this topic, quoting all of our sources, putting this into an argument, counter-argument format. It's available for download on the Cognolytica.com site. Uh, it's a PDF, so please register and download it. Put your email information so we can get that from you and download that off of our site. And, and we'll also be providing a link to that in the show notes. And that's a wrap for today. To download this episode, Find additional episodes and transcripts, subscribe to our newsletter, and more, please visit our website at Cognolytica.com. Join the discussion in between podcasts on the AI Today Facebook group, and make sure to join the Cognolytica Facebook page for updates on this and future podcasts. Also, subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Play, and elsewhere to get notified of future episodes. Want to support this podcast and get your message out to our listeners? Then become a sponsor. We offer significant benefits for AI Today sponsors, including promotion in the podcast and landing page, and opportunities to be a guest on the AI Today show. For more information on sponsorship, visit the Cognolytica website and click on the podcast link. As always, thanks for listening to AI Today, and we'll see you at the next podcast.